Welcome to the 44th episode of Adam Alonzi's podcast. Tonight, we will be crowdfunding a cure for aging with Steve Hill and Elena Malova. It's the Major Mouse Testing Program. Uh, what it is, is essentially a way to fast-track research. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, testing various compounds. More on that later. It is uh, a subsidiary project of the ILA, who are a parent organization, as it were. So essentially, they are the non-profit or not-for-profit foundation, and we are one of their brainchilds. Yes, that's what we are. We are the brainchild of the ILA, Adam. And unless I'm mistaken, this is typically not how science is done. And yes, you have PhDs who are working with the MMTP, but it's not formally sponsored by any universities or corporations. Well, you're correct. It isn't, uh, it isn't what most people would consider the traditional uh, route of research, which is generally um, how it works generally is uh, you you apply for a research grant from the government or a foundation and uh, the funding available for science in the past decade or so for various reasons has actually um, you know, fallen by the wayside there isn't as much uh, money put into it for various reasons uh, which we don't really need to go into right now so in order to make progress science is, is essentially forced to uh, explore other avenues which is where we've come in uh, as an independent project, we can also uh, be a bit more sort of choosy uh, about our publishing uh, and the results. We intend to publish uh, open access, uh, so all the scientific community can benefit from the work. It does cost a little bit more, but uh, you know we, we believe it's worth that additional cost in order to help share the information and, and sort of drive progress. And you know, finally, really, this is why we believe the crowdfunding model is ideal. Because it also allows the general, uh, you know, the general public as supporters to contribute directly, to choose the kinds of projects and research that matter to them the most. And uh, you know, we, we think that the crowdfunding model is an excellent way of doing this and putting the power of progress into the hands of you know everyone. Um, you know, so that, that's that's why we uh, that's why we sort of favoured it as a sort of slightly unconventional approach. Uh, and also with the crowdfunding, it also helps spread the word about technologies and possibilities. That most people, you know, probably are not even aware of, and probably wouldn't be, um, if if this kind of research was funded in the traditional sense. So, you know, for for us, it was the logical choice. Right, you're doing two important things at once, and we'll talk about why the activism component is as or more important, at least at this point in time, than the research portion. Of course, you can't have one without the other. They are they support one another. And the point of the project, of course, is to conduct research, but also to raise public awareness. Of course, I mean you know the the, the whole sort of uh, the whole sort of reason behind uh, MMP is to is to uh, fast track progress and uh, you know and fuel that sort of discovery. Um, you know, we 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 think uh, with the model we've chosen, we can you know we can facilitate that, and uh, you know that's why we're doing it. Some of the compounds you're testing already have a significant literature and are generally recognised as safe, like disotinib and quercetin. 
Well, I mean, the statinib and quercetin are, are as you say, they are already um, approved for use um, uh, by human in humans. Uh, the statinib is uh, a cancer drug, and quercetin is actually a, a fairly common dietary supplement. That they're both considered to be uh, safe, uh, obviously within guidelines uh, in humans. So it's it's a good reason why we've gone for it. Um, the the fact that they found out that they're senolytic in nature is is effectively um, you know a, a good reason to test them, because we can uh, we can get them you know if if the uh, the data pans out we get the results that we want or hope to achieve, and you know it could translate quite quickly into off-label use um, as they're already approved. So you know. I, th I think there's a. I think we we could make significant progress really um, in a very short space of time, which is why we've gone we, we've gone for these particular uh, compounds in the first sort of pass, and you know we're selecting compounds and things of a similar nature for follow-up uh, test phases, things that you know have got the best chance of sort of translating, and things that um, you know would translate quicker if if you follow. Yes, and it's great that you sort of know what you're getting already since people have tested these out on animals and they've been used on humans already. But what's really important is that this line of thinking of removing decrepit cells with senolytics is pursued further. And this hopefully will be a catalyst for a paradigm yeah, shift. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I would sort of consider desartanib and quercetin, uh, the compounds that we're testing in this initial phase, I would sort of consider them a, a first pass at, uh, at senolytics. Um, you know, it's, it's not, um, they're not refined or, or as good as they could be, but they're certainly not, uh, they're certainly not poor, um, and they've, they've definitely um, shown good results uh, in animal studies so far. There's been uh, it's been in the news quite a lot, uh, you know, improvements to vascular uh, vascular uh, health and uh, you know a reduction of some of the damage of vascular aging has been demonstrated very recently. For example, using uh, this this combination, we you know we, we think that's definitely worth exploring. Uh, one of the key things really that no one has asked and the MMTP is stepping in to answer is, you know, does it affect uh, does it affect lifespan? We we know it seems to uh, affect health span, you know, the period that you remain healthy before, uh, you know, before you deteriorate, it seems to affect that quite quite uh, significantly. But the question that nobody has really answered uh, robustly so far is, can it affect not only that, but can it also affect maximum, you know, sort of lifespan? I think that's, uh, that's, that's one of the questions that we set out to answer. And the second, uh, the second sort of important question we want to know is, what effect are senolytics having on residents themselves. Everybody's focused on the other sort of biomarkers and looked at that, but what is it actually doing uh, to the stem cells? What is going on on that level? If we can sort of look at that, and our researcher is very, you know, skilled in this this is this area of stem cells, then, you know, we believe that then that could lead on to even greater things once we have, a, you know, a better understanding of the, the relationship between resident stem cells and senolytics. Um, we've got something Pretty interesting plan as a follow-up if the data supports what we think it might support. 
and SENS, for instance, a fairly high-profile organization, had a very successful crowdfunding project not too long ago, MitoSENS, and if I remember correctly, they raised what fifty-five thousand dollars. Something. Why well, they've been interested lines. in uh, in what we what we've been doing? Yeah. Um, well, we've been actually keeping them in the loop. Um, you know, because obviously our, our work with Senalytics relates directly to one of the uh, SENS approaches, the damage repair strategy uh, that they've been talking about for over 10 years and uh, working slowly towards, slowly but steadily. Um, so we, we've obviously kept them in the loop and, you know, Aubrey was kind enough uh, very recently to uh, make an official comment about our, um, our efforts and is very supportive of it. Um, I suppose really it's because SENS is trying to do a lot of different things um, you know, I mean, anyone can sort of see that they've got these seven different types of um, aging damage, or some people call it the seven deadly sins, and um, you know that's quite a lot of stuff to be, uh, you know, trying to deal with. So I suppose they're, 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 you know, on some level, they're probably glad that others are arriving to sort of help uh, in in any capacity that they can. So yeah, Aubrey's been pretty supportive. And um, you know, I think they're um, they're definitely cheering us on. Um, we're certainly not um, attempting to uh, usurp them or double up on uh, what they're doing. Uh, so you know, I, I think really what benefits uh, you know what benefits our our research. Well, there are many organizations that are interested in Vanjavis promotion. And in fact, uh, what we are uh, trying to do is to help uh, to fill the gaps with uh, what we with with what is uh, um, within our reach. Uh, Sense is a nice organization, but they cannot uh, uh, cover all the field. There are uh, always some gaps that must be filled with some maybe smaller project, but uh, lead by uh, the same devoted life extensionists. So we are really very happy to have uh, several strong pro-longevity organizations standing by our side, but really uh, there cannot be too much longevity activism. And uh, because every additional minute of waiting for new longevity technologies to arrive, we, are keep, we keep losing people who die from the diseases of old age. And uh, this can be your friend or a relative or a partner or a stranger. It doesn't really matter if we uh, are able to witness their death or not. It happens somewhere uh, anyway. And aging is killing uh, 100,000 people every day. So let's count how many have died just during our conversation. It's about um, it's about 4,000 in an hour and about 70 people every minute. So while we were talking, several hundred people. <laughs> Uh, had uh, already died. And before to die, these people keep suffering from painful chronic conditions for on average 20 years. So when we are giving support to pro-longevity organizations or when we are trying to fill the gaps that are not covered by other organizations, we, uh, we are trying to bring closer the moment when people will suffer much less, when the mortality from age-related diseases will go down and hopefully when negligible senescence will come true. So there are still many promising interventions that are not tested in robust trials, really. And uh, if the research we will fund will bring some solution and 
if this solution comes just one minute closer, we are making better the lives of 70 people. If it will bring the solution one hour closer, it's already 4,000 human lives that we will be able to ameliorate or to save them. This is why every action people take to foster the progress is so precious. And there cannot be really an excessive amount of longevity activism. And then, uh, do, do you know the story behind MMTP? One of the barriers to the development of longevity technologies for humans is the obvious deficiency of robust animal tests. And uh, when Edouard de Bonnet, one of the board members of the International Longevity Alliance, proposed to start this project, everyone in the board voted for. Because we, we understand the, this connection, no mice, no men. And we need to remove this barrier before we can get new effective interventions to control aging processes. No mice, no men. And that is a powerful statement. I must admit I was somewhat skeptical when I first read about it, and I still have my doubts about the usefulness of animal testing. And yes, it has its merits, but frequently it does not translate over. That's a good to point you make. Beings. And uh, you know, to be fair, I think you've got the. Uh, you know, I think it's right to be skeptical. You know, given that statistics show, you know, give or take, ninety percent uh, failure rate uh, for new drug candidates to translate from mice to humans, it's not great. And you know, a lot of people uh, comment upon this. However, what you've got to remember is that MMTP is, well, firstly, we're being very selective uh, about and choosing the kinds of approaches that, you know, have the highest translation uh, chances in our opinion. And we're, you know, we're choosing those as a priority. So, for example, the first phase of testing sees us looking at senolytics, which remove the uh, toxic death resistant cells from the body. But this has been as I mentioned earlier, already demonstrated to be beneficial to health in a number of mouse strains. Um, so, you know, that's important because different mice strains are, you know, react differently. So, you know, two or three mice strains show very similar results, which is good. Um, importantly, because, the, I mean, the main thing is because Senolytics targets the root cause of age-related uh, damage, rather than attempting to modify the metabolism, um, we believe it's got a high chance to translate directly to people. Uh, you know, let's face it, mice, rats, rabbits, dogs, humans, many other animals, if not all animals, suffer from the uh, senescent cell burden uh, as they age, and those cells build up, and, you know, they, they sort of, they keep building and building, and gradually they, you know, they sort of compromise the system. So, you know, this is common not just to mice, this is common to us and, and many other animals. Um, so, because we're targeting that root cause, that mechanism, instead of the downstream consequences and trying to fiddle with the pathways and, you know, the different sort of interactions in, in that manner, we think it will translate. We think there's a good chance it will translate across. And, uh, you know, this is something that SENS research has been uh, saying for a long time that it would, um, or certainly implying that it might work. Uh, Campisi's lab um, also they, they've uh, they've also been uh, you know saying it could be promising. Uh, the convoys have all also mentioned it at UC Berkeley uh, as it's got potential. And I, I think you know I think they're definitely onto something there. And you know to the point where I think it's definitely worth testing. And I think it's definitely got a high high chance or a better chance than traditional drugs to translate because we're going after the root, not the downstream problem. So you know. 
So anyway, yeah, you're right to be skeptical. Skeptical, I should say. Given traditional methods of drug development, I would say it is fair what you say uh, about animal data. However, as I've said, in the light of our approach being somewhat unconventional, I think there's room for optimism. And you know, we've got to remember here is we're not restricted to the sort of low risk, uh, you know, low risk, low reward studies that other groups are sometimes lumbered with. Uh, you know, our more traditional sorts of paths. Uh, and important, we also don't have a small army of shareholders either um, who have invested and we need to appease uh, and make profit. Uh, so in short, we can afford to be, you know, we can be bold, we can we can be a bit more aggressive, we can push forward, and we can get the kinds of studies traditional funding uh, isn't really going to currently support. So you know, that's why I think it's you know big reason why we're going to uh, potentially do quite well here. And the final reason uh, for animal data is 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 more of a, a regulatory one. It's you know government organisations such as the FDA, <coughs> the EMA, and other government bodies. They all require robust animal data to, uh, to prove safety and efficacy of therapies uh, destined for humans. So it's absolutely vital, uh, you know, if we if we want to get these kinds of therapies approved and available to the wider public, then this data has got to be collected, um, you know, so we can get these things into clinical trial. The bottom line is, you know, th there needs to be the support for what we're doing and, and, and groups that are working on similar things, because if we don't do it, then there won't be any data and then it'll never get into clinical trial and you know it's never going to be then widely available um, to the masses and let's face it that's what we're all about we want to get accessibility for as many people as possible it, you know longevity technology shouldn't be the remit of the rich one percent you know so you know we're hoping that what we're doing is going to try and help facilitate that and try and you know get that accessibility so you know there's, there's, there's really three sorts of uh, Reasons why that animal uh, animal testing is important and why we've got to get that uh, get that data. So Elena said it's uh, literally quite a case of no mice, no men. It's as simple as that. Yes, and the Achilles heel of senescent cells, a paper by Campisi, and some of her other research should be checked out by any of my listeners who still doubt this line of reasoning or doubt that this can be done. It's very solid, and you guys are building on it. And there's some talk of stem cell therapies and gene therapies. and Well, I mean, we're looking at all sorts of uh, possibilities. Uh, the problem with, uh, with gene therapy is it, it is quite, uh, quite expensive and costly at this moment in time. Um, you know, so that is a, bit, a big factor. So we are obviously trying to balance costs with the crowdfunding model. You know, we, we are limited in, in our resources, so we, we try and get as much bang for our buck, as it were. Um, some of the things we are in a fortunate position uh, at the moment are with uh, things like stem cell uh, work. We can we can do that quite uh, cost effectively due to our situation and you know the research facilities and thanks to the help of our researcher as well. So you know, it's it's very likely that um, our next sort of follow-up steps. Could well incorporate things like senolytics uh, with stem cells. Um, the idea, kind of, being um, to sort of remove uh, dysfunctional uh, cells that are poisoning poisoning the body with senolytics, and then follow up sort of um, fairly shortly afterwards with fresh new new stem cells to uh, to replace the losses, almost like a sort of uh, a spring clean, really, as it were. But we want to. We we're quite intrigued by that idea. 
we're quite you know we're quite keen on moving in, in into that and again that's something that we've uh, been in communication uh, with SEMS uh, research with as well and they seem to be broadly supportive for which we're very thankful um, so that's probably the kind of immediate direction we'll be taking once we get the uh, the data for this analytics as I say the as I said earlier the um, the fact that we're taking a very close sort of focused look at senolytics and their effect on stem cells uh, in this first stage is going to tell us a lot um, you know about where we should go and what we should explore in the second and subsequent stages um, you know after all as you know um, you know we, we, we've all got different sort of theories and ideas about aging uh, but it's uh, we've got to test it and uh, you know if the data doesn't go where we uh, think it, it should or where we think it might we just have to follow it and see where it goes you know that's what that's what a good scientist does we don't sort of uh, in, invent a conclusion and then work our way backwards and cherry pick to suit our conclusion we have to sort of follow the data wherever it goes but at this moment in time I, I can honestly see us moving into something you know involving stem cells and analytics it, it, it seems a natural progression and of course, that's two different set, uh, send strategies in one. So that would be interesting in itself. If you have a thesis to defend or a profit to turn, you might cherry pick your data. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So you know, that's a good point, actually. And uh, you know, that again is um, you know, it's, it's it's probably a good thing that we are operating from a non-profit sort of model. Uh, again, it helps us sort of maintain integrity. Um, Another thing I should mention at this point as well is um, we're actually quite happy to uh, collaborate with other researchers whilst we whilst we are uh, whilst we've launched the project and uh, you know things like samples can be arranged um, you know and we can share information uh, on that on that sort of basis as well and we are aiming to um, have uh, our any resulting publications peer review publications of course. Uh, and hopefully uh, we'll have them all as open access so everybody can read them and they're available um, but yeah we're definitely trying to do things the right way and uh, you know be as transparent as possible uh, to put it uh, to put it uh, plainly as the old adage in open source software goes with many eyes all bugs are shallow I think transparency is extremely important and it is almost unavoidable trend at this point but it's fantastic that you guys are setting this precedent that I hope many many other people will follow but outside of pure science what is the MMTP hoping to accomplish in terms of publicity public relations well uh, every longevity initiative is an occasion to share what we already know about aging and evidence-based means of healthy life extension. Right now we have a lot of materials uh, prepared for this campaign which will help every supporter to learn more about aging, uh, to learn how exactly the scientists plan to tackle each harmful process of aging. We will also try to help these supporters uh, who are suffering uh, from uh, being not very well understood by the environment. Uh, what I basically mean is that um, there are some concerns about the accuracy of the news related to aging and longevity uh, and this thing is actually uh, preventing people from sharing more uh, on their social networks. 
so uh, as you know, our team includes several PhDs and we put a lot of efforts in making our materials both easy to read and accurate. So uh, we will try to help uh, the supporters who have some concerns about the accuracy and provide them with more interesting and sustainable information. In my opinion, we shall also spend more time explaining and illustrating to the general public the connection between aging and age-related diseases. I believe that it will help people to see aging more as a problem uh, and uh, um, to help people to understand why it's so important to develop the interventions to address the processes that constitute aging. And then it will be much easier to us uh, to make more people adherent to life extension behaviors and so every longevity initiative could literally make more people predisposed to healthy longevity. So it will, it will be practical outcome.